Are you building a green business that works for you and for the planet? Season 3 of Where Ideas Launch walks you through the process of ideating, creating, developing and scaling a green idea from start to success. I leverage my experience along with the experts and micro-entrepreneurs running green business models today. Join us for this short series of 16 episodes of Positive Business Impact for Change. Marie Taylor is an active supporter and advocate of businesses across the Dorset and Solent area, having been part of NatWest for over 30 years and working with small, medium and large businesses for the past 20 years. Merit brings experience, knowledge and has built a strong internal and external network that helps deliver a better customer experience. She's an active member of the bank's Southwest Regional Board and chair of the Regional Subboard sponsor of the Southwest Gender Network and governor and chair of the audit committee for Eastleigh College. She invests time in learning, developing herself and developing others. Merit, welcome to Where Ideas Launch. Thank you very much, Catherine. It's very nice to be here. Really wonderful to have you. I think I've, I've been in this space of finance, actually most of my listeners probably don't know, but I started as an accountant and I became disillusioned with it and moved out of the field around 2012, thereabouts. But ESG is the first time I've actually gotten excited about, about the field of finance in general again, um, because I think it brings a lot of hope. It presents a new way to look at finance. And I'm really excited to have this conversation because I think green finance is going to be all of the noise very soon. It already is. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we are now on the sort of recovery side of the global pandemic. I say that generously because I know that at the end of this month, things are going to, to go a little bit crazy again as we see the furloughs disappear, etc. First off, how has banking been permanently changed by the pandemic? Banking um, has definitely been permanently changed and I would say significantly for the better. What it's brought in is an immense amount of confidence in our ability to be agile and our ability to be flexible, you know, from the sometimes myth of people not being able to work from home or work from home effectively, well, absolutely blown out of the water, to our ability to set something up in days that would normally possibly take 18 months to two years, so a new product or solution, but we had to get money out of our door to customers as safely and responsibly as we could, but really quickly. It was really important that money got to businesses to help our our clients and and their families and their, their staff. So we were able to do that, and we did that by taking teams off projects. We took teams that were doing roles in the bank, which were absolutely important, but suddenly we had to divert an awful lot of staff and upskill them, teach them the new systems, new processes. What we did was transformational. What was good was we were experiencing that along with all of our clients because, you know, our clients have very, very similar issues. I mean, yes, we were responsible for providing funding, but, you know, our customers were responsible for providing food and, you know, all different services. So we were going through it together. We were learning. I think the bank have become much more agile in, in testing and learning. Things don't have to be perfect before we, but we needed to get it out there. We needed to be able to support our clients. And then as things evolved, as the government schemes evolved, and we fed into that to try and help uh, more clients, our teams had to learn and keep updated on changes all the time. And, And we did it. And you said in my introduction, I've been in the bank for 30 plus years, and I'm very proud of some of the things we've done, but I don't think I could be more proud of what we achieved in supporting our customers and um, you know providing funding that was absolutely critical to them. Now this this is a really 
important part of the story. I think there's been a toll on everyone. There's been a huge toll on everyone. Everyone's had to pivot to make adjustments from the entrepreneurs to the big corporations as well. And as we look at the comeback now, it's interesting to see how much adjustment people are willing to, to continue to make. As we move into sort of COP26 and, you know, this, this is a sustainability podcast, so we're going to talk, we're going to get into the green finance topic. But as we move into COP26, what do you see as the bank's role in sort of supporting the net zero agenda, first of all, and also looking wider at the sustainable development goals and how banks enable sort of progress to happen across the plane? All financial institutions, our role is vital. If we don't do this, and if we don't do this right, it's well could be severely damaging to the to, to, to the world's economy. So us doing nothing or us doing a bit is just not enough. We we have to be leading on this. We have to be providing support. And our biggest mission is supporting our customers to help them transition to uh, a carbon reduced world. Um, we want to take our client with us. That's, that's absolutely imperative. And therefore shrinking to those targets is not a sustainable world. So we need to really support customers as they, as they transition. And so some customers are way ahead in that. And some customers are still wondering, you know, what, what to do and how to do it. But we have to take all our customers we also have to get our own house in order and we've made that commitment by 2030. We will halve all our financing activity by halving the climate impact, sorry, of our financing activity by 2030. So I think that's absolutely key because that's where we have the biggest responsibility, the biggest challenge, but also the biggest opportunity. So I think, yeah, really key. Being part of all the, you know, we've joined a coalition of organisations in the race to net zero. We signed up to the science-based target um, initiatives. There's so many organisations that we've we've been founders of or, you know, at the start of that journey. And I think that is key because going to the sort of broader SDGs, we need to do this in a fair and balanced way. And we need to be supportive that Customers won't be able to get there on day one. So actually, what does that transition journey is a, is a key risk for businesses. And that's when we need to be at our most supportive of how we help them to get there. So I think banks have a really vital role. And part of that is through education, uh, education of our colleagues and education with our customers, us learning from them, being brave, being courageous. This is transformational for the whole world. No one's been here before, so we will make mistakes. Our customers will make mistakes, but actually it's that bringing back that agility and that learning fast. It's okay not to get some things right. And I think one of the big things is, is that we won't have all the answers on day one or the solutions will keep evolving and changing. But that doesn't mean let's wait until we've got this nice gold plate framework to go through. We, we actually all need to start doing it now. And then as we learn things will evolve, more technology will come in, more technology, Ch changes in the way that consumers want to buy things, our, our own behaviours, what our own expectations are, how we invest our monies and pensions, all of that will help to make a really systematic change in what our customers expect from us and what we expect from us as 
individuals on planet Earth, really. So I think that's really important. And I think, you know, from a bank's perspective, we are particularly focused on three sustainable development goals, affordable and clean energy, SDG number seven, climate action number 13, and partnership for goals number 17. But it's really key that we look at all of the SDGs because you could make some short and medium term decisions, but if it's at the cost of some of those other critical SDGs, we're not building a sustainable uh, economy. We're not building a sustainable world. It's not going to address the unfairness and the imbalance that we have. I think, you know, that's really important. And that's why climate sustainability, ESG, has to be at the core of our strategic thinking, not like this is what we want to do. Okay, now let's put an SDG lens on it or let's put um, a climate focused lens on. We can't make those decisions without that being our overall decision tool. Absolutely agree. What do you anticipate will change for SMEs as a result of the new ESG guidelines? And I, I focus on SMEs in particular because the means to do things differently is different for, for smaller businesses. And there is a sense that a lot of smaller businesses may not even be able to operate in the same way once we really start to make changes to these rules. So what are your thoughts on that? So if I take it as a little step back, I, I was given some interesting, well, it just shows you how critical it is that we get this right. SMEs, um, according to the World Economic Forum, they represent 99% of the world's 125 million companies. They contribute more than 50% of the glo- global GDP. And in the UK, SMEs um, have been responsible for 70% of all job creation since t- 2010. Um, There are 6 million UK SMEs accounting for 99.9% of businesses, 61% of employment and 52% of turnover. You have to focus on SMEs to do anything else. It is just nonsensical. And also history tells us SMEs, yes, they can have restrictions because of resource and maybe not the the wider networks that some some bigger organisations can benefit from. But they're agile, they're innovative. They often are very brave, very courageous, and actually they can see things and how we can either create new things or reapply existing technologies and automation and systems and use it in a totally different um, sector or a totally different way. I think it's fundamental that we we do work and, and support SMEs. I think the changes that will come in, um, the 2050 net zero target is legally binding, but we're yet to see significant legislation or regulation that is forcing or encouraging, incentivizing all businesses, but particularly SMEs. So I think that will evolve. And I think that's really important that on the lead up to COP26, and particularly after COP26, I think it's really important that SMEs do engage because there will be changes and therefore being ahead of those and having made some progress on areas that we're focusing on, clean transport, clean energy, green finance, carbon tracking and behaviours, clean buildings. And I've got a top 10 sort of help guide for SMEs that I can happily share afterwards. And it's it's not covering everything, but actually it shows SMEs the things that they can do that's within their control, that they don't need in-house expertise. A, A number of them don't need money. It's actually just a change of how you might do something or approach something. So I think there will definitely be changes. I think there will be a lot of incentives 
but ultimately there will be tax implications for not doing things, you know, higher tax, uh, carbon tax and that kind of thing. I think it's how we can work with big corporates and government and grants, maximising what we can do in order to then help provide it for people that are unable to help themselves currently. If we change our mindset, there's an awful lot that we can do with already what we've got. And I think that can make a big difference. But an example of one that's currently in is um, the measuring of the carbon footprint. So I think it's very hard for an SME to make changes until they know where they are, what's their base point. And so bringing out tools that will help them. So, you know, we've partnered with Kogo and Microsoft, Kogo for SMEs up to six and a half million and Microsoft for um, six and a half million more, just in order to start actually to help businesses know exactly where they are. I think also is using the resource, the capability and the knowledge that large corporates and non-government organisations have to help those SMEs, that supply chain up and down intel flowing and support, I think is key. So SMEs can help corporates be much better um, and corporates will be able to help SMEs. It's taking people with us, big corporates taking SMEs on their supply journey, not leaving them behind and, and banks absolutely supporting all of those. So I don't know if that really answered your question, but I think there are more changes afoot and it's better to try and be ahead of where you can be so that you're more leading the way rather than having to be told, well, now you have to do this and you've got to do it by then. You know, the, the diesel the diesel car is, a, you know, an example of that. That brings me to a topic that I probably didn't tell you about beforehand, but it's really around stranded assets, right? So we're, we're going to be facing a lot of that. Definitely, it's been a topic of conversation before the pandemic. The pandemic actually accelerated the conversation in many ways. What are your thoughts on how people deal with that? Big question. And I think this is where it's fundamental. So the insurance companies produced a report quite a few years ago on this, that insurance will, you know, there will be, there will be assets that will be uninsurable in our lifetimes if we, if we do nothing, or if we get to a 4% to 4 degree rise. And that's obviously unsustainably worldwide. You, you just you know, the, the implications of not being able to insure an asset. So insurance companies and banks absolutely have to be doing something here. Stranded assets help nobody. So I, I guess if you're talking about bigger assets that suddenly, you know, if you're moving from oil to hydrogen or it, actually it's that having that transition plan as to how are you going to do it. And in the smaller SME space, it's being aware that's, all of our incentives to do something. So I'd like to think, you know, everybody cares about the planet and everything, but if you just look at it purely from an economic viewpoint, you think about all the hard work and everything that you've built um, your business up for and why you've done it, to suddenly then being told that you can't sell it or it's not insurable is unimaginable. And therefore that's the reason, you know, the reason that everybody needs to start taking action and doing and doing something. We'll, we'll never move away from not having some stranded assets but actually if you've if you're well on a journey to to pivot what you do to in order that your reliance on that stranded asset has actually changed and the value of that is no longer there because the demand for it isn't but actually you've created a new asset in what you do or how you do something I think is key but yeah it's that's a big 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 topic 
It's huge. It's massive. I mean, simple, simple thing from your car to the building that you live in. I, I live in an apartment building. And, and, you know, when I think about the complexity of all of this change, I know it's not it's not necessarily the most suitable of buildings. So what happens to this building in a few years? You know, these things do create a lot of anxiety, actually. You know, depending on where you're living. And now, you know, I was listening to a call yesterday where they've said uh, Sicily were recording um, heat up to 50 degrees. You think of all the natural hazards that can happen as a result of that. So it's, it's you know, North Africa, Not it's not just in the Middle East now, it, it, it's, it's spreading all over the world. But the physical risks and the transition risks of, of climate change are huge. And both mitigating and adapting for those is what we all have to do. But we all can do something. And that I had the benefit of going on a course with the bank uh, at Edinburgh University absolutely the best course and I didn't really know anything before that you know I'd still declare myself a real novice now but actually it's amazing the different things that you can just do in your household the different things of how you can do things at work and if you're you know what I always say to to staff you don't need your employer to be the one to lead you you can lead your employer if you're very good at home about what you do bring that to your workplace and demand more demand better getting it right definitely attracts talent it retains talent benefits both from a a well-being a fulfillment and from an economic viewpoint are you know are absolutely proven so I think yeah I have another question because we've we've talked a bit about the potential for there to be sort of penalties, taxes coming on stream for um, your carbon output. We've also talked about the sort of natural intrinsic incentive for us to do something about the problem. But are there also sort of positive incentives that are being put in place to encourage SMEs who are greener than others, who are who are net positive, for example? Are there things that we're putting in place to sort of reinforce that as a behavior? Absolutely. So I think so there will be wider. I think there will be tax benefits and there'll be things that, you know, outside of the bank. But I can talk about NatWest and I know that you know green mortgages, we've had our green mortgage product is going really well. All those clients that have got the green mortgage are, are benefiting from a lower uh, a lower rate because they're generating less carbon and, and they're recognised for that. We've got green bonds and both the issue of the bond and the benefits of the bond are benefiting from that. The proceeds are being used to support the um, sustainable development goals. We've got a green loan coming out uh, later this year, which we specifically for SMEs, which will again, they'll benefit from a reduced rate because proceeds are being used to um, reduce their carbon footprint. There will be more. It will continue to evolve with partnership with octopus customers are benefiting from getting ev points and charging points in at a lower cost than it would normally cost we've got an app that we've just launched ev8 switch i think and it just helps you monitor what you're using on your say your diesel car and to work out then how beneficial it would be to have an electric car and so that you can actually see the, the financial and economic benefits to you over a period of time. Um, and there's loads of different tools. Some are, some are products, some are solutions, and some are just tools or, that will actually help make decisions. And of course, as, as we all change our behaviours, then 
the benefits and the costs of these things will, will, will reduce and um, it will become easier for everyone to, to make, you know, make the bigger changes. Absolutely. So I'm going to change tax a little bit now because it's I don't usually get bankers to come on to my show. So I'm really curious about some other things. And, and the main one is around digital acceleration and the growth of sort of alternative currencies, etc., what further changes can we sort of expect in banking in light of this sort of modernization of financial tech? A lot, <laughs> uh, succinctly. So I think technology will continue to evolve, digital automation, the way that you make your e-commerce payments, how you use your bank and other financial institutions will continue to evolve and change in in some respects to a way that we can't you know potentially picture at the moment but I think what's really important is knowing keeping the balance between technology digital and automation with relationships and I think that's the key so to lose sight of relationships to not be there at customers in their moments of truth and have that ability to have face-to-face and be able to talk to somebody, you lose that at your peril. And I think so it's that happy ability to have multi-channels for customers to choose how, when, and why they interact with you at different moments of time. It's banks using data to really make sure that we don't just generalize offers of support but we actually really you know make that find that personalization so that anything that we are sharing is really relevant for you at that particular moment in time so there's lots of great ways we can use technology and automation and ai to really transform a customer's experience and improve it but balanced with human uh, relationships and that important, um, our CEO calls it sort of a a marriage that both are really important. And knowing that an example, so I think I haven't, apologies, got the exact percentage, but our over 70s that went and used our online app in the last 18 months was huge increase. And possibly some of them never would have done that if we hadn't had the past 18 months that we've, we've all experienced, a number of them wouldn't ever know go back. Um, and we'll continue to see demands and change as technology and how things become more simple and safe, you know, because um, you've always got that convenience versus privacy concern. But I think the main thing is, is knowing that it's, it's um, being able to offer all, all of the options, all of the solutions at the right time in the right place. I think, you know, if we take cryptocurrencies, I think if they become regulated, then that that will bring further changes in. And there's words in our language now that probably weren't there a few years ago, and there'll be words in our language in a a few years' time that aren't here now. That ongoing focus on what do customers want? What can we do to improve their experiences? And how can we add value? If there's a lot of services that we currently do that can be done differently without involving banks and other financial institutions. So what value are we going to add? How are we going to make a difference to create that value for our customers? No, I'm totally with you on that. So I want to ask you one last question, which is, what are you telling your children? My my youngest is 22, nearly 23. And then I've got a 34 and a 30 year old. And I've got three amazing granddaughters. So one of the things I did is that when I signed up to the Cocoa app, 
is I obviously reduced as much carbon as I could in, in, in house. I'm still on a journey on that because the road wasn't built in a day. But um, I've used Kogo app to help me do some positive offsetting through credible offsetters. And I've just used that. And then you get a certificate. Uh, so I've put my granddaughter's names on. I've given it to them for birthdays and Christmases. Um, now, I, they're, they're young. But the idea is actually just already the eldest will be three in in December, but they'll have always seen that it's something that's really important to me. And interestingly, there's a a couple of books out now that are really good that you can actually bring alive. So I'm learning all the time. You know, you've got a mixture of uh, friendship groups and family and you talk to people and it's important not to lecture and it's taking people with you. But it is something that is very close to my heart and I am passionate about it. Um, We've put climate in all our Money Sense um, programme, which we've been doing for uh, 30 years, Money Sense. And so we've added climate modules. We brought it into our what's called our business builder, which is a, a, a free digital online for entrepreneurs. Anyone can sign up to it. That's all got a lot of climate modules in it. So it's about education keeping it on the agenda a customer and a banker and neither might have the answer at the moment but that doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it or try and connect people to who can help so thank you so much for joining me Myron and I think look it's it's a conversation that we're probably going to have again there's going to be a lot coming out of COP26 so so I really look forward to continuing to engage with you and thank you for joining us on the show well, thank you very much for having us, Catherine. And as you say, I think the um, COP26, it's the actions and what we do afterwards is going to be the real key. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you so much. This episode was brought to you today by the EcoBusiness Growth Club by Catherine Ann Byam and by The Space Where Ideas Launch. The EcoBusiness Growth Club supports positive impact SMEs with coaching, know-how and community support toward achieving the impact and reach they set out to make. You can find out more by connecting with Where Ideas Launch on Instagram or following the hashtag Where Ideas Launch across all of your social media.